there's a continuous uh, movement, especially with the war on talent that's going on. There's a big resignation. Or people move, even in the outsourcing industry. So a center that, that works great today might not be great tomorrow, or it might go through you know, a rebuilding phase. Welcome to Mangtas Nation Season 2. This season is all about tech of the future. We'll be sharing real-world experiences and featuring astounding guests to help guide you in your tech journey. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Hey guys, it's Jackie from Mangtax. Don't miss great tech stories from our guests and our hosts, Jackie Nemenk and Walter Del Valle. Only here at Mangtax Nation. Hello everybody, welcome once again to another episode of Mangtas Nation Season 2. Now, uh, our guest for today is an entrepreneur with much experience on leading teams as well as growing and scaling businesses. He's a veteran helping teams improve and give their best performance to deliver impactful operations. And he was even described as a kind of leader who challenges and enables you to take the extra step to build a better product and a better process. And in the last five years, he has built a global center of excellence of 70 plus people at LinkedIn who deliver outsourcing for their sales organization. Moreover, they grow businesses by establishing a foundation of business analysis and operations management capabilities by making use of automations and data. Now, without further ado, Listeners, please help us welcome our guest for today, the Director of Global Operations at LinkedIn, Glenn Heubrecht. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. That's the best <laughs> intro I've ever had. <laughs> well, um, you, you deserve it, Glenn. So, um, well, let's just uh, jump, jump on in. And uh, our listeners would definitely love to uh, hear a little bit more about yourself. So, please, take the stage. Yeah, um, so my name is Glenn. I'm based in Singapore, um, Belgian by origin. So uh, same mother country as uh, water on the podcast here. Uh, been in Singapore now for 12 years. So that's the new home. Uh, I've established a base here. Uh, have two kids now. Uh, and for the last seven and a half years, I've been working with LinkedIn um, in operations. So my job is uh, really to help our sales teams perform better. So we outsource some of the sales functions. We help them do some of the heavy lifting in the system. Uh, and I have a team that manages all of those uh, those processes um, internally and externally. So yeah, um, that's short version. Wow. Well, um, LinkedIn, that's a very interesting company to work in, Glenn, especially us being in the B2B space. I think a lot of questions that we we ask or probably you you get asked is how does linkedin actually make money that's actually the number one question i get uh, so linkedin was bought by microsoft a couple of years ago so we're now part of a big uh, organization um, but even before that we were very focused on recruitment um, so the majority of the business actually comes from um, hr professionals that post jobs on the platform find candidates on the platform and use us for learning and development. So we have a lot of uh, learning videos through an acquisition that we did a couple of years back. Um, so yeah, HR is a big customer of ours, uh, followed by the marketing teams. Um, so as a social media platform, we're a little bit more niche than some of our competitors like Google or Facebook or the others. Uh, so we focus a bit more on B2B marketing uh, and high consideration B2C. So education, uh, 
providers, for example, insurance providers, luxury goods, um, but also like cloud providers or IT systems infrastructure, anything that has a, let's say a longer longer sales cycle or longer consideration cycle is usually where LinkedIn comes in the picture. Um, so let's say HR is about two thirds of the revenue, um, marketing is, uh, is slightly under one third. And then we still have a little bit of uh, other revenue that comes from the members who pay us. Uh, we have LinkedIn um, sales solutions. So we sell sales navigator licenses for sales professionals um, and a few other small things. So um, majority is uh, HR and marketing, I would say. Nice. And talking about touching up a little bit on on outsourcing that you mentioned earlier, and you do a lot of IT and tech outsourcing for a company as big as LinkedIn. Do you also outsource and what type of services do you outsource? Yeah, so we're actually we have a few teams that are focused on outsourcing. Um, So we're a large company. We have I think LinkedIn, 16,000 people now at this point. Um, what is it, April 2022? Uh, so we're, we're still growing fast. So we still have um, uh, high ambitions to continue to grow. And that growth um, is sometimes hard to support by just hiring people uh, and just selling more uh, to uh, new territories or new customer segments. And so we leverage vendors for a lot of uh, our sales growth. Um, so we go to new territories, for example, or we um, segment out certain customers that we feel, okay, they, they need a bit of time to grow onto the platform. They need a bit more handholding. Um, so we can use vendor teams for that and uh, help them get set up on the platform and guide them in their sales journey. And once they're mature enough and once they understand the platform better, sometimes they get absorbed into our own sales books internally. Um, so there's different models that we test out globally, but um, a lot of sales and sales-related activities are, are really uh, in my remit. And we also have um, a team that does uh, full IT outsourcing. That's a separate team because, I mean, their budgets are uh, very different from mine because uh, that's the core platform, really. Like, they do the data centers, all the IT infrastructure, all of that. So that's really the, the core of the business. Um, and then there's also some other um, outsourcing that happens in the HR space, I believe. Um, finance outsourcing. So, yeah. Um, so my focus is all everything related to sales. And, sales and for your focus of outsourcing, uh, Glenn, how do you even start selecting your partners? Um, today, uh, where mm. do you even begin? I mean, you start this team from the ground up, you're now 70 people. How do you even start finding vendors? Yeah, that's probably the, the most difficult thing to do uh, because the vendor ecosystem is so fragmented. Um, the big ones we know, so we, we know all the big names, but given that we're not a huge operation um, compared to some of our competitors, we also don't necessarily need the really, really big partners. Uh, for them, it's interesting to have the really big players in this field like Accenture or Cognizant or Tata or some of these players. They have global presence. Um, it's kind of a very consistent approach, uh, what they what they provide in all of the markets. Um, they're, you know, certified in, in all of the different fields that you need them to be certified in. They have the security protocols. So for, for larger players, that works really well. For us, um, it's a bit more difficult because we're, we're kind of in the middle segment. Um, so we work better with vendors that are maybe, you know, zero to 15, 20,000 people. So not the really big ones. But also we found really good, um, really good combinations and partnerships with vendors that are just small. They're more nimble. 
They want to focus on what we need. They are willing to do things uh, a bit more flexibly in terms of their hiring protocols, uh, changing up the process that we have with them a bit more regularly. Um, and so they are just a bit more of um, an interesting partner for us because we just have smaller things that we need to we need to scale up. So finding them is probably the biggest issue uh, because they may not have a global presence. They may not have the big name yet, um, you know, but yet they have very local presence or regional presence. And so finding them is, is the, the first problem. There's not a whole lot of databases that we can really go to. Uh, there's a few outsourcing networks and that's usually how we get our leads, like uh, our other professionals in the same field. And they refer people, they say, oh, we've worked with this company, it's really good, you should check them out. Um, but yeah, getting the, getting the long list together, I would say, is the first issue uh, that we face. Um, and then after that, you know, that's when the journey starts. Like, how do you wiggle it down? How do you assess their competencies and make sure that these are the right partners for you? Negotiations, testing them out. Like, yeah, it's the whole uh, the whole journey. Um, so it's yeah, it's a bit tricky. But I would say word of mouth is uh, is our main referral channel at this point for for any. Interesting. Businesses. So not LinkedIn itself, not the frame the platform itself. You're not eating <laughs> your own dog food for the research of the business, because <laughs> uh, that's what we do. Well, well played. <laughs> No. Yeah. Obviously, we are. We are. Uh, but it's uh, it's interesting because like uh, we have we have company pages, but the company pages are uh, in a sense limited to maybe the public image that they want to portray, and it's not always easy to keep tabs on where are they, what kind of uh, competencies do they provide, what locations do they have. So there's a there's a level deeper that we're kind of missing at this point. So I think that's the that's the part where the yeah. The recommendations come in. Like somebody can tell us, like we've worked with this partner for sales-related um, uh, profiles in these languages in this location, and it worked really well. Okay, that's great because then we can go and explore. Um, so high level, sure, we can we can do all of the searches on our platform and um, and our Microsoft database and, and everywhere. But at the same time, yeah, it's a bit tricky to go. If only there were such a platform, huh? That would do that. <laughs> I know. So I know. Uh, you mentioned. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned uh, that's the well, probably the number one challenge, or that's where it all starts. But what else? Like when it comes to outsourcing, from yeah. your very long experience now in outsourcing, mm -hmm. right, and building a whole team around it and an industry around it, really internally. What would you? What are your, your top challenges beyond finding, beyond creating a starting point? Yeah, it's a great question because um, I think it breaks breaks down into three parts. First of all, what we've learned or what I've learned over the last seven and a half years at LinkedIn is that you need a lot of competency in-house to do this well. Like it started with a very small team and it started with me hiring people internally that would do some work in lower cost locations. And then we quickly realized, okay, then you need management, you need overhead, you need um, learning and development resources, you need a career trajectory for those people. And so insourcing may not be the best option. So we started looking at partners and then how do you select those partners? How do you find them? Okay, that's in itself not an insurmountable challenge. So once you do that, then you have to start looking at the business itself. Like what pieces of this business can we carve out and what does it look like? Um, do we have it documented? And in most cases, the answer is no. So then you need somebody who goes in and like literally knows the process or figures out the process, maps out the process, uh, translates that into educational documents for these vendors uh, to, to train new resources, figures out what systems access you need, 
um, figures out what the security protocols are, you know, what's, what's, what are the quality levels on these processes. So there's a lot of elements to this that you can just wing, I would say. Uh, if you're a small company and you, you feel like you want to do this, there's some competency that you need. So either you need to go to a platform or a vendor that provides that to you uh, and does some of this heavy lifting for you, um, or you need to build up a team, which is what we've done. Uh, so my team, there's you know people who do program management. They'll work with the business, figure out which which piece of um, of the sales cycle we can outsource, and then find the suitable vendors for that uh, for that piece. And then work with our internal teams, um, information security, to make sure that these guys pass the the, the tests that we have. Work with procurement um, to make sure that they are vetted and that um, we negotiate commercial terms with them that uh, work for us. And then there's vendor management, the day-to-day stuff. Uh, once you set it up, somebody needs to run it. So I think that's the second part of our team, like somebody who knows this process really well. Um, we like people that kind of cross over into new domains. Like if you've been an expert in a certain field for a while, and then all of a sudden um, you're in charge of a team outside at, at vendors that, that does the same type of work. I think that's brilliant because it allows you to still use that skill set, but do something completely different. But at the same time, you need somebody who is able to go really deep into some of the stuff, right? Like if a process is running on a day-to-day basis and there's an escalation that happens, well, you need somebody who knows how this works and has done this before, has had these escalations before um, and can deal with that. And so there's a, a big vendor management component to it. And then the last piece for us was some of the stuff that we do, we could do forever with vendors. Um, so it's the same process, it's fairly stable, and we could pay them for the next 10, 20 years and they would still do the job and it's still required as a business uh, because there's a systems gap or just it's something that is not a priority. Um, but at some point you realize, okay, maybe we should do this differently. And so that's when we started an automation team uh, that does uh, robotics process automation um, to take out some of these processes and to, to replace uh, some of these uh, these processes with bots who do the work in the background. Um, it's more efficient um, if you can get it done by a bot. Um, it's, it's a bit more transparent as well because you get very nice metrics on how long it takes, what the bot actually does, how it performs, um, how many escalations it, uh, it sends off. And you can still have a team do quality control on that. Um, so that works really well for us. But yeah, I mean, luckily we've had the means to build up a sizable team in those spaces. It's not a, you know, not not easy for any company to just do that stuff, right? And then there's some tangential stuff that you would also need contracts management. Um, like we have a, a beautiful contracts manager, like she's brilliant in terms of like just making sure that every contract is reviewed, everything is within spec, everything is, you know, aligned across all of these programs globally because we work with seven, eight different vendors globally. We've got 30, 40 programs. There's change orders that go on at the same time. So there's continuous like adjustment that needs to be made. So yeah, it's it's a it's a burden for a legal team or for a procurement team to keep track of all the stuff that we do. So um, some of that uh, is, is nice to have within the team as well. So yeah, it's a big investment, I would say. So that's the first area. Um, like how do you actually build the competencies to actually do it? Uh, and the second area is the same thing, but outside. Like, how do you make sure your vendors actually have the same competencies almost aligned to yours? Like somebody who understands your business, who can talk to you and you know make sense when they talk about certain processes. So they need to be doing this for a while so that they can understand what you're doing. Um, and day-to-day KPI management, day-to-day escalation management. Like it's it takes a while for a vendor to really get the hang of how you want things done, um, 
how your business actually works and for them to actually work with you. So pairing those things up uh, and asking them to make those investments because we're, we're a small player. So if you ask them to hire new people, overheads, uh, it all takes down their margins, obviously. So in the beginning, they're willing to do it because it's an investment. But over time, it needs to yield something. So if they don't see uh, big growth, then they might uh, slow that down a little bit. So how do you keep that interesting for them commercially? Uh, versus content-wise, I think is the second bit. Um, and the third bit, I think, is um, how do you keep innovating? How do you keep doing new things? How do you keep on top of what's what's new in the market? Who's acquired whom these days? Because there's a lot of m and in this, in this space. Um, who's opened new offices where? What languages are available? What time zones do they cover? You know, what customers are they serving? There's a continuous uh, movement, especially with the war on talent that's going on. Um, it's the big resignation or the big uh, whatever you want to call it these days. People move even in the outsourcing industry. So a center that, that works great today might not be great tomorrow or it might go through you know rebuilding phase um, where people start moving around. So how do you keep that um, engagement going and how do you invest as a, as a client to make sure that your partner resources are also well maintained? They feel a sense of ownership. They're connected to your business. They have a career plan. Um, you invest in their competencies so that they feel like, okay, I'm working for LinkedIn, but at the same time, I feel like LinkedIn is investing in me and they're not just using me as, a, as an outside-in resource. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, uh, lot of complexity, if, if I think. If I you have a this, whole bunch of follow-up um, questions really on that, plan. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> so, but but Sorry, one thing that fascinates yeah, me long is answer. You, you go really deep internal and then external competencies. And how, how do you, because of course LinkedIn is moving in a certain path, how do you make sure that they move with you as well, right? It's not just those two in isolation, yeah. but the combination of those two that just adds that additional layer to it, that they not only stay competent, but grow as you grow and go in your direction. Right? Um, I want to zoom into bots. Yeah, um, now that's really, really interesting. So, so you're saying sometimes you have your outsourcing, you say, actually, should we be outsourcing this? Can we automate this via via robotics? Can you maybe, for, for the listeners, explain a little bit yeah. more what, what that really is, uh, RPA robotics, and and maybe some concrete examples of what you did and and how it actually improved you as a business and what your advice is on this space? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, so RPA, Robotics Process Automation, is um, uh, basically software that mimics what humans can do. Uh, but software allows for, I think, a lot of intelligence to be added. So an example is we have a big database, right? Obviously, LinkedIn has probably one of the the largest databases on the planet of, of uh, a professional data set. Um, I mean, company data set, so company details. But how do you keep that up to date? Um, so there's so many outside databases that have bits and pieces of this information done in Bradstreet, Hoover's, um, there's the company website, uh, there's a whole bunch of like local reference points that we need to check. Um, if something is not up to date in our system, for example, um, let's say they change VAT number, uh, so the, the tax number that they use, or they change addresses, and we send out an invoice later in the sales process and it bounces because like it's not right the information is not uh, not correct we need to restart that process and then regenerate that invoice go back and check everything again so that just creates a lot of delays in our sales processes and so one of the things that we do as an operations team is make sure that all the information is up to date 
but that requires a continuous, like almost monitoring of all of these databases. And that's, that's virtually impossible to do with humans. Uh, so we have big teams that, that, that do this and they have to go through every single company file and then update all the information. But if you can have a bot run that same process instead of you know saying, okay, you, Jackie, you're now in charge of these thousand companies and you need to go through each and every one of them to update them. Yeah, that's great. But then the next time you get to number one again is probably, I don't know, two months from now. Uh, and so in that two months, something could have changed. Um, and, and for you as an individual, okay, at some point you get tired of this process, right? And so your, your efficiency might drop. The bot can do this, you know, hundred times uh, a day, like it's, you just check all the different databases, uh, it has access ideally through APIs, but if that's not available, the bot will open the website, will check the name of the company and then um, see what kind of information we, we have to update. So that's a beautiful I think, example of RPA um, having so much leverage over a human. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of sometimes complex data points that you need to put together. Uh, and as an individual, it's not always easy to keep doing it right, uh, to keep focusing on, on the same calculations or different calculations. Um, and so if there's multiple numbers that need to be pulled from multiple databases, put together in some kind of calculation or reporting deck, um, also a perfect example for bots uh, to actually do that type of work. Um, they don't get tired. They don't make mistakes. They don't do copy-paste errors. Uh, and you know that you know whatever they produce is is literally how you um, program them to do the work. They won't go off track, they won't go off uh, schedule. So it's, uh, it's more controllable, I would say. So for certain processes, it's, uh, it's a plus. Um, there's a lot of processes where there's customer interaction involved, uh, and then it becomes a lot more difficult, obviously, than that. that's human territory. But um, some of that can also be done in the background. So before a salesperson talks to a customer, maybe we auto-generate a report of the last three months of their spend um, and we add in some uh, competitive data points and give them the latest on, okay, what the performance on the platform is. And now you go talk to the salesperson. So the salesperson doesn't want to do that work. They don't have to do that work. That's not their job. So you almost need, you know, a backup resource to do this for them, but also at the scale where we're at, like it's just not feasible anymore. So if you run this on an automated way, then you can expect that, that this report gets generated and, and it's given to you before you talk to a customer. So all you need to do is schedule um, a meeting in our system and the system knows, okay, we'll generate this report for water and then off you go. So that those type of process, I think, are brilliant for, for our... Oh, no, that's, that's very much good examples as well. And, and we, are, we are massive believers in it uh, internally, but also we see it as a quite, quite a big demand, right, uh, on, our, on our marketplace. Um, now, you mentioned also big resignation, yeah. right? Um, do you feel that the timing of what you're doing is perfect? Now that, that the, it's very hard to find talent and to keep talent, uh, is outsourcing actually a great yeah. solution to that problem? I'm, I'm a believer, uh, obviously, because <laughs> I need to be, but also I am, otherwise I wouldn't be in this field. Uh, but I feel that uh, the flexibility that you get with outsourcing providers is is uh, much better than what you have to go through internally. Because um, imagine like, you know, you're a company of a thousand people. And let's say in a normal cycle, you have every year 5% of those um, people that leave. Okay, that's 50 people that you need to replace. And now great resignation hits. People are at home for two years. They realize, okay, I could do any job from home since that's possible. And now all of a sudden, you know, 15% of your company turns over. That's 100 extra people that you need to hire. 
for each hiring process, you need to screen candidates, post jobs, like follow up and like, and then here you are probably at a company of a thousand people. Maybe we've got like what, 10 people doing talent acquisition. <laughs> Good luck to them. Like that's, that's 10 per person extra on top of what they need to do. So it's just like sometimes not feasible or practical to just keep going through these cycles of rinse and repeat and, and, and kind of um, keep replenishing all of the jobs. So from that perspective, I think outsourcing providers are easier because they do have, I think, um, talent attractions, what they do. So they have their talent pipelines. And if you can give them like, this is the type of talent that we need, they'll pre-screen people for you and have them ready to go. Um, can even pull people off other programs if, if you need them immediately. So the pool of talent that is available to them is just like a lot larger. Um, and sometimes it's harder for us to find very niche skill sets. Um, if you want to find like, you know, good talent in Korea, for example, or Japan, um, it's a lot more difficult as a business to go in there and recruit. Um, but outsourcing providers, maybe they have already existing offices there. They have existing talent pipelines. They, they speak the language. So it's you know easier for them to attract folks. Um, or even if you want to re relocate those folks uh, as a big company, there's always a lot of paperwork involved. Um, but with outsourcing providers, they will do all of that for you. So you know that, okay, this is a native speaker, Japanese speaker that will work for us in Kuala Lumpur, for example, um, or, you know, somebody that will be stationed in Dublin, but was originally from Eastern Europe. And they'll take care of all the paperwork for you, take care of all the visas. Um, they have usually very good working relationships with the immigration offices because that's what they do. They bring in talent. Um, and so it's just faster than if you would have to do it yourself as a, as a business. So I'm... I'm a fan, but uh, it's not perfect because they also are faced with the same resignation issues. But at the same time, I do feel it's a good complement for businesses to grow. Um, and it's definitely um, and nice. Yeah. I had one more follow up, Jackie, if I may. Uh, something that sure always was. triggers me is innovation. Right. So you mentioned it, uh, Glenn. So I had to ask um, in the context of outsourcing. Mm. Right. So, so, so this is where what I am personally really mm. passionate about. Um, how does it fuel you uh, as a company today? And, and what extra power does it give you uh, to actually innovate as a business uh, when you start outsourcing? What's, what's your view on it or doesn't it? Mm. What is your view on that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a big lever to help you invest in areas where you need to invest your time and attention. Uh, but it can also be a lever where you can do some strategic um, strategic testing, if you will. Um, so let's say you want to open up a new market. You've never done business in Southern Europe. And as a, as a US-based company, you want to tackle this market. Or you figure out those customers that you have never met in the Middle East. Okay, well, you could try to set up an office there. Usually what people do, you know, in the olden days, like they would send expats there. You go and set up an office and you, you know, you're the connection with the main, the main uh, HQ um, and go then build our teams there that just takes time it takes time to build up that understanding of the market it takes time to just go through the hiring process um, you could also just go with a partner and a partner that says okay we've been in this region for 15 20 years mm -hmm. we have you know a couple of thousand people sitting here uh, we we call on SaaS customers like you guys want us to do so we know this market okay great then let's set up 10 people there who call on SaaS customers um, and and let them sell a LinkedIn SaaS product and see how it goes. And if it's successful, okay, you can still decide to open up an office there or expand your office there um, or not. Um, so you can test out business models, I would say, 
much easier, much faster. So I think in that way, it helps you innovate because it allows you to test out markets, languages that you did not cover before. Is it useful for our customers to be serviced in Thai? Maybe. Um, so there's a bunch of uh, internal metrics that we can look at. How many customers do we have that speak Thai? Um, how many of them actually are serviced by non-Thai speaker today? Um, and let's add some people that could potentially engage with them in their native language. Does that yield more business? Um, and then it's something you can test out. And if the answer is yes, great, then let's do more of it. Or let's open up our own office there. So you can kind of test the waters, I think, before you go in. So it helps you innovate on the on the maybe the business model side as well. Um, do you need to be physically in the same location? Um, can you have a centralized hub where you just call on customers and do things remotely? Um, test that out before you actually decide whether you need an office or not. Um, so on the business model side, I think it helps. Um, but at the same time, I think what we do is um, mainly a focus exercise. Like our leadership doesn't have to be thinking about all the small markets, smaller accounts or the accounts that need a lot of handholding. Okay, they need to focus on the big fish and what do you need to service the big fish? Uh, and the big fish needs X, Y, Z. Okay, let's make sure that you get X, Y, Z so you can go and have those conversations. Um, what more and what else can we do for them? Uh, is there more data analytics that we can provide? Is there a different way of service that we can provide? Uh, different, you know, we build a chatbot, for example, for certain customers. Um, is that interesting to them at all? Like, do they like to engage with that or not? Um, what customer segment is, um, you know, needs a 24-7 servicing model that, that you want to put in place? Um, so there's a lot of, I think, things that you can test as a business with vendors um, and with um, the right focus. So taking away the pieces that, you don't want to focus on, I think it's even more important as a business. Um, sometimes you have to spend a lot of time and energy on customer service because your product market fit is not perfect. So customers have a lot of questions, need a lot of time, need a lot of handholding. Is that something that you really want to be focused on as a business? Maybe not. So maybe that's a space where you can plug in a vendor that does the customer service for you, um, or at least does the handholding for you while you focus on, okay, changing the product features and, and, and doing your engineering work to make uh, some of this go away. So I think that's where outsourcing can be good uh, strategically for the pull. Um, yeah, and even for us as a business, like we still have big growth targets and, and outsourcing is definitely lever to pull. I mean, this is not a new business model, right? Like Google does 80% uh, of their business through vendors and they, they you know, print $75 billion per quarter at this point. Uh, so massive so it's it's not an unproven business model uh, in any shape or form um, but it's something that a lot of companies are still hesitant to pursue because they don't have the internal team or the vendors that are a good match for them join us as we change the game of global outsourcing a platform for businesses to connect and collaborate a space specially designed for you you can sign up as a vendor for free only here at mangtas your curated marketplace for b2b outsourcing solutions join us now at www.mangtas.com now yeah. talking about vendors like if i'm a vendor now and you mentioned earlier glenn that even uh, with a company as big as linkedin yes you do work with big outsourcing vendors but also you don't mind working with small uh, smaller vendors now for smaller vendors how can i if i'm a vendor how can i make myself uh, attractive enough or like um worthy of uh, of being considered to be outsourced by a company like LinkedIn? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great question. So um, with big companies, I think the biggest hurdles are usually uh, around security. Um, so what is the level of you know, penetration testing on your systems that you, that you actually have done? How can you provide us with a very mm -hmm. safe environment where there's security protocols that fit our standards? Um, are you ISO certified in your locations? Uh, do you have all of the necessary uh, credentials from a leadership perspective? So I think that's the main hurdle for us, like to get you into our ecosystem. I mean, there's a bunch of hoops that you have to jump through uh, and our info security team is brilliant at like assessing which of these vendors do we allow in our ecosystem and which um, you know, are a security threat. Um, not necessarily because of them, but they may not know that they're vulnerable uh, to their systems and processes or VPNs, etc. So I think security is the biggest deal. Um, and then secondly, it's about providing what we need. Like we we're welcome to wo work with anybody who who has our sense of um, of direction and and wants to provide us with the right services that we want at the scale that we need. So you don't have to be 10,000 people to service us. You, you know, 100 is probably too small, uh, but uh, somewhere between 1,000 and 5,000 work perfectly fine for us if um, if that's your focus so uh, it's about getting our attention uh, so how do you get our attention maybe you know platforms like Mangtas is where you can showcase yourself and where we as businesses can go to look uh, I think this is where you know we we started talking right like how how does Mangtas actually fill a void in you know the access and the um, communication between both sides I think that's that's the main key um, LinkedIn is a really good platform, actually. So there's a lot of uh, vendors that also post really good wins on LinkedIn, but they have confidentiality around the actual content. So sometimes you have to read between the lines a bit. Um, but yeah, there's a, I mean, that's the main key. No, but I mean, I mean it when I say there's a gap in the market. Like I would love for there to be a global platform where I can just go and say, I need sales competencies in these languages in this particular time zone. And what are my options? And these are the 10 vendors that provide these options in these different locations. This is an indication of their cost. And that would like make my life so much easier. Uh, right now we have to like keep track of all of these things. Um, and there's continuous involvement, right? There's continuous locations that get added, competencies that shift or get added. Like we have to continuously almost ask our vendors like, hey, have you guys expanded? What are you offering now? Like any new languages that we need to know of? Um, has anything changed in your landscape? Um, any acquisitions? But I mean, it's not something that they're willing to engage for, uh, engage on for on a regular basis with us because we're a small fish. Like if Google would ask, like, okay, sure, I'll tell you every week. I'll send you a report of what we have. Uh, but for us, it's a bit different. Uh, Microsoft is obviously a different level. So as LinkedIn, we try to kind of play ball with them as much as possible and leverage what, what they have in terms of vendor relationships. But yeah, those are sometimes mind-bogglingly large. Um, so yeah, uh, And I guess beyond that as well, right? Not just, I guess, the, the updates that are quote-unquote generic, but I guess also the real-world updates of how are you performing as a business, right? Because you're just talking at one level. How about yeah. like the reviews you're getting? Are you did you start well, mm. but are people getting frustrated with you? I mean, you can see these things on on many other types of services, but not on the ones that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, and it's not something that they will publish themselves, I guess, outsourcing providers, because some will be good, some will be bad. That's normal. Um, but there's a lot of confidentiality around what they do. Like they can't uh, go, you know 
run around and say, hey, Facebook rates us five out of five for this particular sale that we're doing for them or for these content reviews that we're doing for them because obviously Facebook doesn't want that advertised. Um, so it's hard for them to use those references uh, and makes it harder for you know smaller players or smaller companies uh, in the markets to actually find that information. So 100%, you know, if there could be an anonymized uh, review um, of previous services would be beneficial. And it's the same thing, uh, word of mouth, like it's network. So calling our colleagues in, um, in other companies and saying, hey, uh, have you worked with this vendor? Yes, what was your experience? How did you enjoy them? Still working with them? Um, what have they done for you? Like, you know, what's special about them? Because these are chances that mm -hmm. we, we could pivot, but pivoting is also like a big, big uh, time and energy and cost suck for us as a business, right? So it takes, six to nine months to set up a successful program and then you want it to run for a couple of quarters consistently to to be considered like really good but if after you know a couple of quarters you realize it's not great then okay you just you know you need to pivot after 12 months you go through this whole cycle again like who is it this time and setting them up training onboarding access uh, contracts negotiations it's it's complex to just pivot this type of stuff so if all the work that you do up front i think benefits you in the back end um, so that's why, yeah, rather spend a bit more time doing a few more calls around um, performance and, and assessment rather than just diving into. And, and I'd like to switch gears, if I may, Jackie, and, 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 and maybe on the other side of your life, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we went do quite deep now into your views on outsourcing as, a, as part of LinkedIn. But you have a second life where you also invest in, in startups and exciting startups. Um, what is your view on where technology is heading, right? So, so this is one thing. And, and as you know, that our team is tech of the future, right? So we'd like to hear people's view on where you see the world will be in five, 10, 20, 30 years even. And there's no right or wrong here, but from what, what, what's your gut feel and or even data backed feel, right? I would like to hear your view on that as well. Yeah, uh, obviously not a very very good investor uh, so far. Uh, so I've, uh, I've, I still have my day job. So that means that there's still room for improvement in the future. But there's a few promising startups that we've backed, uh, that I have backed. So hopefully there's something in the on the horizon. Uh, I think there's two elements to the question. One is how um, are these companies actually performing that are tech related or um, how are they organizing themselves? And I think this is where the remote work um, element comes in. A lot of companies that um, I meet or that I see uh, in terms of pitch decks, um, they're very fluid these days about where people sit. Like you can have a remote team that is, you know, all across Asia. Um, some people are centralized and then um, engineering can be anywhere because you can do the job from, from uh, pretty much any location. Um, so a lot more companies, especially startups, are flexible in terms of where they find the talent. I think that's a smart uh, move because a lot of the big corporations like us, like we kind of um, absorb a lot of the talent in, in, in the hot locations like you know, San Francisco or even in, in Europe, some of the hotbeds, like there's a lot of stuff going on in Paris these days, um, Asia, Singapore is a natural hub. But how do you get people in Singapore as a small startup? That's difficult. So I think they branch out and they look at where does the talent actually sit. I think that's, that's smart to do. And that also makes... Um, bridges then to the second part of the question, like where's the future, right? Uh, then uh, you, you're starting to talk about more like decentralized um, decentralized tech, blockchain development, Web3. Uh, that's where 
that's the, the shiny new toy at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it makes sense because like a lot of people can contribute remotely to that. You can build products that um, are completely running independently from a centralized body. Um, so I think there's a lot of Web3 these days, um, a lot of uh, uh, blockchain developers that are uh, hot properties. Uh, even though the space is you know, kind of intense, uh, still unregulated and still needs a bit of maturing. But at the same time, there's some beautiful applications already coming up. So I think tech of the future is definitely um, Web3. Um, and it's definitely like about organizing the internal tech teams in a different way. Um, so that uh, the platforms that will allow for that, SaaS platforms that will allow for that, I think those are the winners. Um, so we need to focus on um, how do you build like a decentralized HR organization? How do you build a decentralized marketing organization? Like, a, you know, using some of the platforms as underpinning. Same for engineering, uh, same for all of the other functions. So yeah, um, marketplaces, uh, you know, places where people can go for information or can, can find deals, can source um, some of the some of the connections they need. I think yeah, a lot more. So decentralization, not only organization-wise, but actually also technology-wise, uh, is where you think everything is heading. Fascinating. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say yeah, those two so. things uh, so. together. Awesome. Well, there's a lot of a lot of. Um, I think there's a lot of talk about it now, so it could be completely off, but it feels like it's in, in the new world. Like even even our team, so my team is fully uh, global. So we were in I think 14, 15 different countries uh, because some people decided that for themselves or for professional reasons, they wanted to locate to uh, or relocate to a certain country. Um, I'm getting married. My spouse is from Australia. Can I still do my job? Like I'm now based in India or in Singapore. Sure do your job from Australia. Like, I mean, it doesn't really matter where you sit at this point. If the last two years have taught us anything is that True. it doesn't matter. If you have an internet connection and we can reach you and you can contribute, it doesn't matter. Uh, so we have one person sitting in Canada, for example. Uh, we have an office as LinkedIn in Canada, so that's easier to move them to. But even certain people that want to work completely remotely, I think we try to make um, make it work. So there's uh, flexibility in the models that you need to, you need to put in place. Um, and so, yeah, I think that automatically leads to who's supporting those models. Uh, and it's not going to be the classical C- big CRM providers anymore, I think, or, or the classical product platforms, um, marketing platforms. Like now it's a different way of working. Like uh, it's, it's allowing for content creation and, and developers and engineers um, to contribute to uh, to pr- product or platform like remotely. I think that's that's where it's, it's all going to be at. So, um, yeah. Fantastic. Now, um, well, we're um, thank you, thank you so much for all those insights, insights, Glenn, and uh, it was very insightful not only for our listeners but also for us. We're still, you know, building our platform, fine tuning, improving it, and there a lot based on your your talk today. A lot that we can we can apply, we can take note of, and I'm sure the vendors would be very interested in uh, in hearing hearing this as well, knowing what your insights are considering that you you work on LinkedIn and uh, so thank you thank you very much and uh, for vendors who may be interested in in working with LinkedIn do you prefer that you know you find them yourselves or is there a place where they actually can contact you 
apart from Mangtas, of course, which they can sign up on their, our platform for free, and you know we can uh, we can vet them and connect them to to LinkedIn if uh, they qualify. Yeah, well, first thing they should sign up for Mangtas for sure. That's uh, you know that that's the baseline, uh, and after that, obviously, I want them to have a good LinkedIn presence. So need to have a company page and and have some content that they've contributed. We would never, obviously, we have to eat our own dog food. So we would never work with a vendor that, it, that doesn't have a LinkedIn page and is not contributed to our ecosystem. So uh, that's step one. If you've never posted on LinkedIn, <laughs> okay, don't bother, you know, pinging. Uh, but if you've done that and then you have a presence and you've created some good content, then yeah, ping me. Uh, you know where to find me. So, thank you. Fantastic. Uh, and we'll also leave uh, leave your contact details in the show notes of, of the episode. Butter, were you about oh, to say something? I was just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, thank you, Glenn, so much for, for your time. That's all for today's episode. And again, it was such an insightful discussion and and, uh, thank you everyone for listening and uh, um, for tuning in to Mangtas Nation. So um, tune in to stay tuned for the next episode. Once again, this is Jacqueline Demenk. And Walter Delbare. <laughs> see you. See you guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Mangtas Nation. Mangtas, your curated marketplace for B2B outsourcing solutions. Follow our social media pages to know more about us. Sign up as a client or sign up as a vendor and be part of this global B2B marketplace. Join us at www.mantas.com.